you. I am Michelle Gifford. Hey, I'm Sarah Allred. We are the girls behind Women With Fire, and we specialize in building influencers. Welcome to the podcast. Listen as we chat with influential women who feel guided by the divine to build empires of truth at home, in business, and abroad. The goal here is to empower you to grow your influence everywhere. Join the nation of women who get things done at thewomenwithfire.com. Hey, you guys, and welcome to another episode of the Women With Fire podcast. We are so excited. I'm very excited to be sitting across the computer (laughs) from Elizabeth Thayer. She is an artist who now lives in Utah and is on a mission to paint and tell the stories of refugees. And she has been featured so many places. She's she has a book out, is a contributing member of a book, and we're gonna get into this, but first let's just welcome you. Let's call you Liz, but your website is Elizabeth Thayer, so we need to say that. But welcome Liz. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> and we not only have Liz, but we have her sweet three-year-old Sarah and we're so excited to be across the computer from her because we are moms and we are doing this right perfectly perfectly so (laughs) well welcome welcome Um, so you have been you are doing a lot of things and you recently contributed to a book telling stories of refugees it's called let me tell you my story it's on amazon people can go get it there you had a personal art show and you are showing and telling the stories of these women and men that are refugees. And then you're also, um, you're part of the Certain Women Art Show. So you've been doing all these things, but I kind of need to back up. And I want to know, like, your ba- give me your background. Um, I also want to know, because you are telling the stories of refugees in places like Germany and in other countries, not necessarily in Utah. So mm-hmm. give us some background. What got you into this art thing that you're doing? And then also, how are you able to be with these refugees and tell their stories? Okay, so I am an artist. I studied in college and went to grad school in painting. So I've always been painting and drawing. And after I got married, we lived on the East Coast for a while. And then we moved over to Europe and lived in Germany and England for nine years. And then we moved back to Utah about three years ago. So I had this, you know, experience kind of traveling to different countries and meeting people from different cultures, which I loved. I absolutely loved it. So we moved back to Utah in 2015. In uh, 2016, we heard all these reports about refugees just streaming into Europe, especially Germany. And I, I kind of didn't know, like, who were they and why were they coming? And it was a little bit frightening, but I had a friend, a couple friends in Germany who had been volunteering with refugees there, just in their local towns. And one of them in particular had posted something on Facebook, which kind of intrigued me. And I thought, oh, I wish I were there to kind of help and see what's going on. Um, And what can I do? I don't live there anymore. I live here and I have kids and I'm busy. But then the thought occurred to me, well, you know, maybe I could paint a portrait of a refugee and entered in a show and just kind of helped raise awareness. So I contacted my friend in Germany and he said, hey, what do you think of this idea? Do you think it's worth pursuing? 
Um, and at the same time, she had been contacted by a photographer who lived in London and a filmmaker who lived in Seattle who had kind of a similar idea or inspiration. Um, so we decided to all get together and do a project. So we did an Indiegogo fundraiser and raised money to take a trip over to Europe. And we went to Greece to a camp there. And then we went to Germany and visited some refugees in Germany and took uh, video, photographs, I did sketches, um, we wrote down their stories and then brought it all back. Um, and since then we've been publishing that. So we ended up actually forming a charity called Their Stories, Our Story. People have been coming, so the organization has grown to something like 35 people now. So we have a website, we just came out with this book, uh, we do social media, in-person presentations. Um, I did an art show this summer. Um, and our whole purpose is to help give refugees a voice, let them tell their story, explain you know, who they are, why they left, what's going on, what are their hopes and dreams. It's amazing. <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time on your website and reading your stories because um, I'm a photographer, so I like I am definitely into telling the stories, right? But I've been really amazed at the art of your painting because that's a completely different medium, but it tells a completely different story in one painting. And so I want to know, so tell me about your experiences in Germany and Greece. So were you in the refugee camps? Is that where you would go? Logistically, what was happening? So we first made a connection uh, with somebody in Greece who was running a refugee camp. And she talked to all the residents and said, these people are here, they want to help raise awareness. Um, so if you would like to interview, then you can come on these. We were there for three days, I think, two and a half days. And we kind of were hoping we would get maybe 10 people that would be willing to share. Um, and we had 50, there were 50 tents, and every single one of them lined up to tell their story, uh, which was amazing. And it was a totally new experience for me and a different way of connecting with people um, where a lot of them didn't speak English. So even though we didn't speak the same language, often most of them didn't speak English, um, a handful of them did. Sitting there and looking into their eyes and sketching them was a, this mode of communication um, that I hadn't had very often in my life. It was amazing and I felt like I was looking into their soul. It was a life-changing experience. I found other people just like you and me. I don't know why I expected differently, you know, because maybe they look different, talk different, dress differently, um, but they left homes and families and jobs and communities just like we have. And it was interesting to see that it was very therapeutic and self-affirming for them to be able to tell their story. Like just to have someone sit down and listen um, meant a lot to them that somebody cared enough to take the time. And so that was the catalyst. I think that kept us going with TSOS and their stories, our story, um, that we realized the power of stories and the effect that it can have, um, where it's stronger than data, it's stronger than numbers. Um, it's a way that people can really tear down their own walls and reach across borders, religious differences, et cetera, and really connect and understand each other. So with this background, why do you feel like stories have that such a big impact because you know in because it's true if you tell me statistics about all these refugees 
I'm like, oh yeah, that's sad. But then I read your account of one person on your, you know, and look at the painting of one person and I'm like in tears, right? I'm bawling. So what is, what do you think that is? And what have you been surprised to find out about these stories? So I've been thinking a lot about stories lately. Like, so I'm, I'm a big fan of literature. I like reading. Um, so, you know, I thought about like, why do we, we kind of tell the same kinds of stories over and over and why is that? And why are these stories powerful? And I think it's because when we use numbers, we, we tend to categorize people, right? Or we categorize ourselves. Like I'm a mom, I'm female, I'm American, I'm Christian or whatever, because it helps define us um, and we feel safe. But it's also dangerous because when you categorize a group of people, they become almost dehumanized in a way and different. And it's kind of like building up walls of safety around us where we feel comfortable. But when you have a story, um, I think stories help you um, establish those bonds of humanity that you have with every human on the earth where you realize, oh, this woman who lives in the Middle East and is Muslim and is running for her life has children. I have children. I understand how she feels. I understand my, why she might make the choices she's making. And it, stories help us put ourselves in another's shoes and understand why they're doing what they're doing or why they, how they might feel or why they're feeling that way. Um, if yeah. that makes sense. Oh, um, no, that, that makes complete sense. And I think it also, it's, it's a way that we connect, right? I can't connect with yes. a number, but I can connect with motherhood. I can absolutely connect with motherhood. And even if I haven't, you know, been in that situation where I am fleeing for, you know, my life or those, then I can connect with how scared I would be as a mom, if, you know. And so there's just points of connections. Um, that happen, you know, when we are able to dive a little bit deeper. Um, has, has there been something that's like surprised you or like a, a connecting piece in each of their stories that you feel like is like a running theme as you interview these people? Yeah, I mean, I definitely connect on things that speak to me, especially the women. Um, what's it like to be a woman in Afghanistan, for example, or a mother who half, half of her family is in Syria, a war-torn country, and she can't reach them and she can't get them to her. Um, so definitely motherhood speaks to me right now. Um, I've met a couple artists. As I share stories with other people, I find that they connect to different stories as well. For example, I was telling the story of a man I met whose brother was a police officer. This man and his wife and... Uh, three children were living with the brother and the brother would not get involved with the corruption that was kind of rampant in the police force in the area. And, um, and so they were being targeted by these terrorists. And so this man was um, hijacked. He would, he was a taxi driver at the time. Um, Some men jumped in his car and asked him to take him out of town and he took them out of town and they attacked him, stabbed him something like 13 times in the head um, and left him for dead. And someone was able to find him and take him to a hospital, and he recovered. But shortly after that, they, he went home, and there was a note that said they had taken his brother's child hostage. Well, it wasn't his brother's child. It was his own child. And so they were scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. How can we get money and give it to them? And uh, before they could do anything, the, the uh, people that had kidnapped the child delivered the child's body in pieces back at the doorstep. You know, and at that point, they realized they couldn't stay anymore. And so he took his two remaining small children and his wife, and they left. Most people have lost 
everything or they've given up everything, sold it. And I think it's just a sign of their desperation, like to take your kids, to leave everything and to go on this really dangerous, illegal journey. In many cases, they have to be desperate. There's just no hope for them to stay anymore. Yeah. And I think that like that story is so so powerful just like seriously everyone needs to go go to elizabeth thayer and read your story (laughs) (laughs) i want to talk about some more of them but i think when we think of refugees we don't picture them like us we don't picture them educated with families like living these Mm -hmm. lives that's not how we picture them but every person that you are featuring is is a mom or it's a someone who had a real job who has worked for years and years at a trade and now is starting from scratch. And, and also, um, what did you learn about? Cause I've learned a lot after reading the stories, but what have you learned a lot about the whole process? Cause it's not just, I'm going to leave my country and I'm going to be a refugee somewhere, but there's a whole hairy way that they have to get out of the country and into another country. Yeah. The scary part. It's a long, long journey. It will take years. I I mean, most of the people that have made it to the U.S. as refugees have been in camps for over a decade, just to give some perspective here about what it takes to get to the United States. Um, The refugees that we were interviewing in Europe, they would um, often have to sell what they had, if possible, and leave. So, for example, we interviewed a lot of people from Afghanistan. A lot of them would walk, so sometimes they'd be able to take a train or get in a bus or something like that. But um, most of the journey is walking from Afghanistan to the coast of Turkey is the distance of the, basically the east coast to the west coast of the United States. So they're walking with you know whatever they can carry with their children. Every time they cross a border, they have to hide from guards, so they're in danger of losing their life or of being caught and sent back just to try again. And they've got to pay, usually you have to pay smugglers every time you cross the border, large amounts of money. And they will maybe like put you in the back of a truck and drive you in the night into the snowy mountains and let you out and say, go cross that mountain over there and you'll find the next person. Or there was a family we interviewed where they were crossing a river and there were police on one side from one country and police on the other side from the other country. And they were standing in the river for um about 36 hours she said my child had a fever he was sick we didn't know what to do we were scared for our lives and they couldn't get out um so situations like that when they get to turkey they often will get on a boat and cross the mediterranean sea to try and get over to europe to greece or italy and for for a lot of women this was the very worst part of the entire journey in Muslim society, women don't swim at all. So they don't go to the pool, they don't swim at the beach, they're never in large bodies of water. So asking them to take their children and get in a boat, and it's just, I mean, it's just a rubber raft stuffed with people. Like maybe it's a capacity of 20 or 30 people, and they'll put 70 or 80 people on there, just shoulder to shoulder. So asking them to get on this boat is like asking them to step off a cliff. Um, And they're usually very, very traumatized. Um, by the entire journey. And then if they're lucky enough to make it over to the coast, they'll land and get put in camps in Greece. Um, I think they're trying to not have as many camps, but try and put people in more stable situations, but the camps are not nice, safe places for the most part. Um, From there, many of them will try to cross borders, again, via smugglers, 
um, to get into Germany or France or Scandinavia or anywhere they think, anywhere they have family or they think there's hope of being able to settle down and find a job, have a safe place, have their kids go to school. You know, I mean, one thing I found was that, that they want the same things that we want. They want their kids to be happy. They want them to be able to go to school. They want to be able to work and provide for themselves. They just want the freedom and safety that we all have. It's amazing. Like each of these stories is amazingly difficult and also really beautiful. Like I, I, when I was reading all the stories and there's a really a lot of faith in them. And of course, these are all people from different religious backgrounds, but they're just like a, a sense of faith. Like I've got to keep going and I've got to try this. And now a quick break. Hey, you guys, this podcast is brought to you by, well, me and Sarah, and we are super excited to talk to you about our Quest Mentoring. If you are growing a business or if you are following your quest and feel a little bit stuck, well, this is for you um, because with our 17 years of business between us and almost nine kids, we know that you have to do things differently. So if you are paralyzed about making mistakes, so you don't, cause you don't want to waste time or money and, or you, maybe you just don't know what the next step is, then this mentoring is for you. And so all you have to do is it's sign up for monthly mentoring where you are going to get a monthly masterclass that is going to grow your quest. You're going to be surrounded in our Facebook group by women who get it, who are cheering you on and you're going to become clear and confident in your quest because Sarah and I are going to be there personally for you. And guess what? All you have to do is sign up right now for a dollar. It's seven days for a dollar. You get access to our trainings, our Facebook group, and us for one buck. Are you kidding me? So go to thewomenwithfire.com slash say yes and sign up today and get clarity and get confidence in your next step on your quest. And now back to our podcast. One of my favorite stories, and I'd love for you to retell it, is it Sahar, who mm-hmm. um, who received a Book of Mormon? Yes. Can you tell so, us? Sure. Yeah. So she lived in a country where it is against the law to convert to Christianity. She was a young girl, and some of her friends and her had kind of been questioning some of their uh, Muslim beliefs, and a friend gave her a copy of the Book of Mormon, or she let her see it. Um, And she said, I love this, I want to keep it. And he said, no, it's dangerous for you. And she said, just for one night. And so he let her keep it for one night, and she went and made copies of the entire book for her friends um, and gave them copies, and they would read it together. And one of her friends was caught within her bag and was taken into custody and tortured and Sahar heard about it in time to escape. So she just left her home and started walking um, and made it to Germany eventually, um, where she somehow found the father of the person who had first showed her the Book of Mormon. And she showed up on the door and said, your son gave me this book. I'm here by myself. And so she's there. She's applying for asylum, hoping that she can stay. But she, you know, she's without family, and she does have the support of church members and other young adults, which is great. But really, I, what, <laughs> what courage, right? Another, another point to this story is that even if they make it to a country, it often takes years for them to go through the asylum process. So it, it then becomes difficult for them to want to share their story because they're afraid and they have no stability. Um, so if you've ever lived 
at a time where you're uncertain about your future, like you didn't know if you were going to move or not move, or, you know, if someone important in your life was going to live or die or, you know, to live in that state is really, really difficult. Um, it's a really hard way to live. And many of them do that for years um, where they're waiting to hear if they are granted asylum and then they might be granted asylum for a year and then they'll have another hearing and then they'll ha and then they'll apply to try and get the rest of their family to join them, you know, and that will take another, another period of time. Um, it's, it's difficult. There is um, one woman that we met from Syria who was a biology teacher um, and she and her family left Syria and made it to Turkey and then they only had enough uh, money for her and her youngest son to go further. So they made it to Germany and she's been living there for over two years, trying and trying to get her teenage sons and her son and her husband um, to come. And she's been denied multiple times. Um, but we just heard that they were given passports and they are gonna arrive there this month. Um, so they'll have the, a joyful reunion, which is, it's so nice to hear a happy ending, you know, in the middle of all these really difficult stories. Oh my goodness, it is. And it also gives you a little perspective when it's like, oh, I don't know if I can uh, get up and read the Book of Mormon. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But there is beauty there. This is some amazing things. And you have Sahar who is made it and is welcomed in by the church. And so what an amazing faith that is to just have read the Book of Mormon and just say, oh my goodness, I got to share this. And then I have to leave. And then I'm going to find someone to help me. So what? this is, this is amazing. I really want the stories. Really, everyone needs to go to Elizabeth Thayer and read the stories. So this was on display, right? You had your own art show with all of these stories, right? It was great. Um, it was the work that I'd done over the course of two years um, I, and two different separate trips to Europe um, to meet people and interview and paint them. But to actually put the art up on the walls and have people come face to face with it and read the stories and then share how they were touched um, or changed or educated um, was really meaningful to me because that's what I set out to do in the first place. And I, I mean, there's been studies that have shown that a painting will have a different effect on somebody than a photograph. You know, it's a different type of experience. So it's been really uh, great for me as an artist to be involved in this and see that process take place. Yeah, well, even in seeing like the pictures on social media of the art show and seeing people, you can, you can tell they've been changed. I don't know if that feels too presumptuous of me as I'm just looking at the pictures, but just seeing them interact with your painting while reading the story, because that's how it was set up, right? The painting and then their stories right next to it. Mm -hmm. And like looking into Sahar's eyes, I don't know her, <laughs> right? but I feel like knowing her story and looking into her eyes is a very much like, oh, I can have courage to do what I need to do because she had courage. And so how do you feel like knowing these individuals, how has that changed who you are? Like how you interact on the daily in Utah, you know, with your people and as a mom? It has had a bit of big effect on me, definitely. I have a better perspective on life, I think, and on the world and what goes on. And maybe I get less caught up in unimportant problems. I did, I did struggle a lot coming back the first, after that first trip with wanting to do anything here. You know, if my kids were invited to a birthday party, I'd be like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, there are people that are dying in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, that's a silly example, but 
um, it was it was hard for me to kind of get back in a mom here in Utah, um, and I had to, you know, think about it a lot and pray about it and come to the realization that God put me here where I am and gave me what I have for a reason, and I'm grateful that I'm able to help bring awareness to the situation and hopefully open people's hearts a little bit so that um, we can make the world a better place. But I also have to be present for my children, right? Like they're the people that I can influence more than anyone in the world. Um, and so it's, it's been a struggle for me to find a balance, to be honest. Um, if you ever get involved in nonprofit work, it can suck every single spare minute <laughs> and passion and every, everything you have to give. Right. And so it's hard to keep those balance, the balance where it needs to be and kind of, and remember that there are seasons of life and there are important things and to kind of keep perspective. Yeah. I think that a lot of our listeners, not, they're not all nonprofit owners, but um, I think that this is a common feeling, right? Because you get this vision of what needs to be done. That's outside, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of your home mm -hmm. in a different country. And then you are like, but I'm just making dinner. I am just fully laundry. Yeah, doing laundry over and over, <laughs> over again. Over and over again. <laughs> so what do you feel like are, because we know, we know as members of the church, especially that the walls of our home, and especially since we are, we are shifting in the church, how we talk about and, and where the teaching is happening, right? We're teaching in our home and not that it hasn't been that way, but the focus is home-centered, church-supported, yes. right? And so what are some things that helped you make that transition from being really caught up in being like, I'm not going to a birthday party, okay? <laughs> to where you can, you can see your life for what it is and be happy with like the things that you do actually have to do. So a lot of prayer, scripture reading, and talking with people that I trust definitely um, has helped my husband, my mom. And I think also just thinking about the larger problem. After that first trip, I came back and I was just like, I cannot understand the inhumanity that exists in the world. I cannot comprehend what would make people do that to other people. And what, what can I possibly do? You know, like doing one painting, like I'm not going to save anybody's life by doing that. It was very overwhelming and discouraging. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that we are waging a war against hate. And the only weapon we have that will win is love. And so if I can take this experience and I can help others have a similar experience, and that then makes me a more loving person and teach my children to be a more loving person and helps us reach out to the people in our communities that need a little a hand of friendship, um, the outcast, the immigrant, the, and just have a little more understanding and less less judgment, less selfish behavior, then it's all been worth it. And it's all part of the cause. I'm helping the cause by doing that. I really believe that, you know, even though the refugees whose stories I've told are not, you know, they might, a lot of them are still stuck behind a border in Serbia, for example, not getting anywhere and they're frustrated and things are not changing quickly for them. I still have to believe that that my efforts are helping my home be more open, more generous, more loving, which is helping the community, which is helping the world. Yeah, what that is spot on. It's one of the things that we really talk about at the Women With Fire is that 
we want to help people be influences at home in their community and abroad that's actually what we say in our intro hey awesome. we hey. <laughs> must be true <laughs> it feels true because it is true but i do think that the person who's listening whatever they're facing whatever problem they're trying to um, overcome or help it can seem overwhelming right mm -hmm. but there is power in being the one and seeing your influence for what it is. And I know you're like, I hope that I'm doing an okay job, you know, and influencing where I need to influence. But I know that you are, you know, you have, you have changed me and you've changed anyone who's looked at your paintings. And I think that we as women and we have a tendency to kind of downplay who we are and what we're doing. And we also, it's hard for us to see the bigger picture of what we're doing. And it's because we don't see it all, right? And we're full of laundry. I don't have time to look at the big picture. <laughs> it's true. There's too many little things that have to be done. <laughs> but when I asked you to, if I could interview you, you're like, I haven't really done anything amazing. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I bring that up hopefully not to embarrass you, but I, but, but it's very relatable to every, every woman because, because your cause right now is refugees and also helping people see people's stories for what they are. And even if that doesn't mean that I become active in saving the refugees, it does change who I am and how I treat other people's. And it's this huge ripple effect. So you're doing a great job. Sorry, long winded, but, <laughs> but you're doing a great job. And Thank I, you. um, I would love to know how telling these stories, how has that changed you as an artist? Because you're looking into these people's eyes and you do a lot of portrait work and you're doing this with people who you don't understand their language. And, and, and do you know these, do you know their stories before you paint them? It's a good question sometimes. Um, and if I do, I think it's more powerful. Yeah. So how, how do you feel like this being a storyteller painter is different than just being a landscape painter, right? So how has yes. these stories changed your artwork? Um, it's helped me find focus, I think, to be honest, um, where I, so I studied illustration. I love stories. I love storytelling. And I also have always loved people. So I've been drawn to portraiture. And as I've tried to keep up my art while having children and moving around, um, I've often considered, you know, like, what do I want to do with my art? You know, do I want to be the portrait painter who does commissions? Do I want to, you know, go into illustration? Because it, it's a very different kind of track that, that I would focus on. Um, and falling into this, I immediately loved it because it's everything that I love. It's connecting with people. It's telling stories. It's doing portraits. And I love that it facilitates uh, connections between people. So it's, it's everything that I love all put together. So it's, in a way, it's helped me find myself artistically and find a direction that I can take further. I remember when I was at BYU as an undergrad and there was a show at the BYU Museum of Art from this artist uh, from New York. And I walked in and looked at the paintings and I just started crying. And it was the first time that had ever happened to me because these paintings touched me so deeply. And at that moment, I said, I want to communicate to people on that level with my artwork. Um, that's my goal. And so I think, you know, I, I have a long way to go um, in a lot of ways, but this has kind of started me on that path. I love that Heavenly Father 
puts little seeds of desires in us. And then he makes something mm-hmm. pretty awesome, you know, cause I've been, I mean, I've always been the one that asks a lot of questions. <laughs> I want to get the story out. And, um, I love talking to people and I've been amazed how the preparation has, has been laid so that I can do something that I absolutely love, you know, talk about the gospel and get people's stories out and get the testimony out of what is happening behind the scenes. So I just, I love your testimony of that, that it's not that, you know, these desires that we have and you're like, oh, I just love telling stories. I love art. Sometimes it takes us a while and the path surprises us when we're able to like mesh those things together. So what have you learned about using your artistic gifts in the service of God and others? And has that surprised you in any way? I guess I've been surprised that I have been able to do it. Um, in that I feel uh, comparatively uh, incompetent in the, you know, I'm not as good of an artist as I want to be, but the fact that if I, I try and keep the, try and keep God a part of what I do, that I'm still able to be effective in it. Um, even though I want to be yet, I can still be effective now. That's really meaningful to me. Yeah. And I, that is going to resonate with all of us. Did it, was everyone listening? (laughs) (laughs) You do not have to be perfect to be effective because you're partnering with God. Yes. Because you're trying to do what he wants you to do. Then he will make your efforts perfected. It's not us being perfect. You know, like that's, and that's a huge thing because that's a huge stumbling block for, for people. They want it to be perfect before they think that anything that they do can be helpful well, to close up, I always really like to ask this question, um, and it's how has how have you seen God's hand throughout this journey? Because you've had some pretty mind blowing things. You've been able to do a lot of mind blowing things um, to me, like just you know go and spend time in in war torn countries, do the whole refugee thing. You know, how have you seen God work His miracles with you? Um, I see His hand everywhere to be honest, um, even through generations. I, many of us have ancestors who are refugees, right? So we already understand a little bit of that. And then being married to who I am, having the background I have, and then living abroad, um, traveling to different places gave me another perspective. Being inspired, you know, through listening to General Conference and thinking about what I could do, um, inspired to contact a friend in Germany um, and, uh, she likes to use the term divine choreography, um, where, you know, we have all these people that have come together with kind of a common desire um, and have been able to make something out of it and hopefully make a little bit of a difference in the world. And then I see his hand in, as I come back and struggle to kind of balance my life, where, you know, I still want to be part of this, but I also need to understand what what is my ministry right now you know, what's most important now and how do I balance that? And I have had support from friends and from family, but always from God, you know, as I've tried to make decisions about where to spend time and effort and what to think about and what to paint and what to draw. And I always look for the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And I do feel like, you know, I mean, there there have been times where I thought, what am I doing here? Am I doing the right thing? is this going to turn out or is this going to be a flop? You know, is this even worth my time? And then you come out the other end and you think, oh yeah, that was part of God's plan the whole time. Why didn't I see that while I was in the middle of it? I've definitely seen that through the entire process. Oh, I love it. There is so, 
There's so much here. And so I just, I love what you're doing. I admire what you're doing. And I also admire you being home with your kids. And I got to meet little Sarah, you know, I, um, I get it. I get the struggle, but like we always say, the struggle is the point, right? It's what brings us to God, makes us rely on Christ. Thank you for being here. And thanks for sharing your story with us because it's beautiful and it, and it's completely changed me. Thank you. Thanks so much, Michelle. Hey, thanks for listening to the women with fire podcast. Your support means a lot to us. In fact, your support is what makes this podcast possible. If you want to connect more with the guests we've had on our podcast and connect more with Sarah and Michelle, the creators of the Women With Fire podcast, find us on Instagram at The Women With Fire or find us in our Facebook group. Simply search Women With Fire and join the group. We'll see you there.